words that attach themselves. As uh, Logan led us through the earlier stories that we have covered this month as we come out of Christmas, I'm so grateful that God has given us these stories. And I've talked to many people who often ask me, I wonder why we don't have more stories of Jesus' infancy. In fact, um, what are called the, the pseudepigrapha or the, the unrecognized scrolls of the antiquity uh, were written much later than the disciples would live, the apostles. And they have stories. One story in particular is a, a story where Jesus is playing with other children on the bank and, and they're making doves out of clay, or I just say doves, uh, yeah, doves out of clay, I got that right. And, and, and as they were making the doves, the children would throw their clay doves into the air and all of them would fall to the ground and, and splat on the side of the bank. And <clears throat> as Jesus took the dove that he had formed, he threw it in the air and it turned into a real dove and flew away. That's a wonderful story, but it's not true. And you begin to say, well, then, then how do we know that this is true? Because Luke tells us in the early part of his gospel that he went and researched, and he's writing the truth of Jesus' childhood stories. Most interesting, he doesn't include every one. He probably had late nights where he talked with Mary about what it was like to raise the Messiah. But it's only these that he has chosen as he gives us the gospel, and it's for a reason. It's not to entertain you. It's to inform you of who Jesus is. Will you stand with me as our custom as we hear God's word this morning in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. <clears throat> and on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, his, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the customs of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for, the rev for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the fall and rising, falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Esher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Won't you please enjoy your seat. <clears throat> I want you to know this will be the second, second shortest sermon in the history of Center Church, um, knowing that your seat is not the most comfortable, but I do want to tell you, as we sang our second hymn I find, I, uh, about the tell me the story of Jesus, I do think about how each of you has a story in your life. You have a story of, of brokenness. You have a story of darkness. You have a story where you looked at your life and you began to think, I am missing something I don't understand, know, or why I'm here. And in that darkness, you tried to fill everything you could the vacuum that you had in your heart. You chased after whatever would bring you happiness, but nothing lasts. And then you heard the story of Jesus, and you began to realize that the thing that was missing was God. That there was a, a, a purpose that God had created you for, and it was for this purpose, that you were to glorify God in your life and enjoy him forever. The glorifying God is, is, the, is the glorious part of where we understand why God created us and we, we do his will, but is holy and right before him. The second part is that we would enjoy it, that we would enjoy God. I don't know about you, but I think about when we first got married, I, I, I enjoyed being with my wife. I, I wanted to, to live on every word she said. She said, jump. I said, how high? Just tell me. And I look at young people today as they're dating, and I see that same kind of infatuation. And then I look at some people who are older, and, and I wonder, do, do, do people still have that in their marriage? And I, I think about the Christian life and the story we're living. Do you and I still have the same infatuation that we had with God when we first heard the story of Jesus? Do you still love him? Do you still hang upon his word? Well, this morning, as we look in this passage, we're, we're looking at the story of Jesus from his childhood because Luke wants you to understand something about the story that you're living in your life today and the reason that you can have hope in Christ. <clears throat> the first thing I want to point out to you is 
that it was a time, it was a specific time where something had to be done for this child. And it was called circumcision. If you look in verse 21, you find it very quickly that Jesus was sent by his parents or actually taken by his parents for the purpose of this eighth day procedure. Well, what is that? It's, it's a day where basically they would gather when a male child was born. And on the eighth day, that eighth day, they would have a ritual where they would mark this child as part of the covenant that Abraham made with God all the way back in Genesis. This is really quite amazing. Because in Genesis 17, God had directed Abraham. He said, then God said to Abraham, verse 9, as for you, <coughs> excuse me, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male descends descendants after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now here's the key. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born of your household or bought with your money from a foreigner. These who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. If you go on and read a little further, it says that anyone who fails to do this, that child will be cut off from the community because they have been excluded from the covenant. Well, why is this so important? Well, you will notice that more importantly that when God revealed himself to Abraham, he said that through him that he was going to bless Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing so that through you, Abraham, all the world will be blessed. And so God was not just thinking of descendants who were from Abraham who were going to be blessed. God had the plan from the very beginning that through the descendant that would come through Abraham, the entire world would be blessed. How would they be blessed? They would be blessed by seeing a light that came into the darkness of the world. They would behold the glory of God in a time when no one understood who God was. It's not hard to see this archaeologically. You go back and look at all of the things that have transpired in human history, and you'll see culture after culture creating gods out of out of images that are created, whether birds or animals or whatever. You go to Egypt and all you see is statues with men's bodies and, and animal heads. You see all of this throughout the ages, this confusion as to who God is and why is humanity existed on the earth. And God says through Abraham, through my covenant with you, I am going to keep my name on the face of the earth so that my name is borne witness throughout all the ages. And it is only through the Jews that you find a record of a people worshiping one true God. Where everyone else worshiped multiple idols. 
And so this covenant was not just a, a, a sign of flesh that was in a, a child's body. It was a promise that God had given that he was going to do something through the lineage of Abraham in such ways that the world would be spared of the darkness that it had. And I want you to know that's wonderful news in our day, isn't it? That when we look at the darkness of this world, that God has not given up on us. That he is still at work calling people into that light, that covenant promise that he gave through Abraham. And that is now realized and seen and understood and comprehended through Jesus Christ in what he did. How he gave himself for us on the cross and how God raised him on the third day. And now he is ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. What is happening in this world, what is happening in the story of your life is not lost on God. God is at work in you for his good pleasure. And he's bringing you to that place where you know him more and more and you are able to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Don't you just love it when people love to worship God when they're together? I will never forget the first time I experienced that after years of drought when we were part of another denomination and, and we would go to Presbytery and you would have to drag people from this church kicking and screaming because they didn't want to go to Presbytery. It was the most God-forsaken thing they'd ever done. And then as you got into the meeting and people began to argue about the petty things and deny the glory of Christ and, and you would never hear the preaching of the scriptures clearly, you began to think, what's the point of going to church? And then suddenly when we turned in the direction of going into the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, we went to one meeting and I, I had elders saying, When is the next presbytery? I've never been around people who enjoy worshiping like that. We sat in a small church and people began to sing and the rafters, you felt, you felt as if they were going to come down. Why? Because people knew the story. that God had done something in Christ. They could not help but sing. This was a sign. A sign of what? An understanding of the covenant. That God has not left us in darkness. The second part of the passage that really is quite amazing is how you go into verse 22. And here we find that, that Luke gives us some information that we're kind of surprised by and maybe not understand. It deals with the purification. What, what purification? Well, interestingly enough, if you go back into the Old Testament, the same God who visited with Abraham and gave him the promise there also was a God who, when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he laid down some particular laws. And in the Old Testament, laws were categorized into three different categories. There was the moral law. You shall have no other gods before me. That's a moral law. And there were laws that God had given as you go through Exodus 21 on further through the book of Exodus. That there were laws that, got, that were given by God to make sure that people lived moral lives. And when they didn't, they were to go and give sacrifice at the temple or the tent of meeting and ask God to forgive them for not being moral people. 
Then there were, there were laws that were ceremonial laws. Those were the laws that governed how they would worship God, how they would offer sacrifices. In fact, Mary had to keep a ceremonial law here after giving birth to a child. And then their third category, there was the civil law. What was the civil law? There was laws that God had given for the people to keep in order that they might have a civil society. That they might live with the knowledge that God is their king. And they live to please him and keep his word. And therefore their society as a whole should live a certain way where they do not cheat one another. They do not lie to one another. They do not steal from one another. And so all those laws were given and they were specific and they were given in such specificity that they knew that when they did not keep that law, they were in danger of violating not the law. They were in, they were in danger of violating the honor of God and the glory of who he is. And so when we are told in, in chapter 2, verse 22, that passage that, that is reserved for us, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took, uh, took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Well, well, what is going on? What is this about? What is Mary doing? Well, when a, when a woman was giving birth to the child that would be born, if it was a boy, a firstborn male son, that child belonged to God. Going back to Exodus where, where God had, had told the Israelites as the conflict with Pharaoh about letting his people go, he told the Israelites when, when the death angel comes and the judgment of my judgment comes upon the Egyptians, you are to take the blood of a lamb and paint the doorpost and lintels of your door. That night, do this so that no one will die in your home because on that night, God will take the life of every firstborn. Because Pharaoh would disobey God, God would have to declare and show to the world that the strongest, most powerful man in the world at that time was not God, he was. And because he is God, his judgments are true and his laws are right and his justice must be served. And those who violate God's laws must be condemned. It was in that practice where the Israelites painted the doorpost and lentils with blood that their firstborn children were spared. Must have been a horrible thing to be in the homes and hear women screaming as their babies were left dead because of the judgment of sin. And God says, because of what I did there, you are to be reminded of how I made an atonement for you and your firstborn. Very powerful, isn't it? And so from that point on, Exodus 13 tells us that every firstborn male child, whether beast or man, belonged to the Lord. In fact, when an animal was first born, it was dedicated to God. 
and it would be the sacrifice that would be given as a sin offering. But the Israelites did not sacrifice their children. Why? Because God in his great mercy in Numbers 18 made a law or gave a law that said because I do not require your children I am giving you a sign by asking you to bring your child before me and pay a ransom for their life. Five shekels of silver. And that firstborn child, which belonged to God, would be redeemed from sacrifice. Would be redeemed from the curse that every one of us deserve. Because the wages of sin is death. Amazing, isn't it? And so in verse 22, where they come to the temple, this is the eighth day of circumcision. There still was another 33 days that Mary had to wait. She could not touch anything holy because she was taught in the word of God that because of giving birth to a child and the issue of blood was so critical to the health of the people of God and preserving their lives that God said whenever there was a blood issue, there had to be a rite of purification to make sure there was no diseases that were spread from one to another. And so in light of that, Mary, Mary was unclean for seven days until the time of the circumcision, and then she waited another 33 days, and then Joseph and Mary traveled to the temple where there they would present their child the firstborn, and they would pay the five shekels to redeem him. And they would have to give an offering. According to Leviticus 12, the offering was either a lamb, a lamb, the lamb of God, or, two, or a dove or a pigeon. <clears throat> By the way, I hate pigeons. I don't find any problem sacrificing a pigeon to God, do you? But a lamb? Why did God give this prerequisite? Why was it specified in this way? It's because the recognition that there would be some who were so poor they couldn't afford to offer a lamb. They had no money to buy one or raise one. And Mary offered a dove and a pigeon. Why? Because of her poverty. And so the point of the passage that you and I are to see as Luke records it for us is that Joseph and Mary, knowing this was the Messiah born into their family, didn't just use the excuse, well, you know, we've got God's son. We're special. We don't have to keep the law. Not at all. All the more, the child was born, not that the law would be broken, but fulfilled, not only in his life, but in yours. You see, to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever is not to tell God what you want. It is to love God so much that you ask God what he wants 
and render to him those sacrifices of obedience. It's amazing, isn't it? It comes to that third part of the, the passage, which is the prediction. They go into this place that is a place of worship. They find an old man who has been told by the God, the Holy Spirit, that he will not die before he sees the Messiah come. Would you, would you not just relish that, that God would tell you that you would not die before you would see the second coming of Jesus? What would you think if God told you that? Well, here is someone who is told that he will not die before he sees the first coming of the Messiah. And in that moment, they see him coming to them with his eyes opened, his ears attentive, and his heart rent asunder because God has kept his promise. He reveals the child to him. And Simeon <coughs> breaks out in this overwhelming, overwhelming song. It has been placed to music by Michael Card. It is one of the most glorious thoughts. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now, now you, you may dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light of revelation for the Jews. No. A light of revelation for the Gentiles. And for the glory of your people Israel. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about salvation. Salvation from what? Well, remember, we were lost in our sins, separated from God. We did not know him or love him or seek him. Not because we weren't smart. We were very intelligent. Not because we weren't good looking, at least some of us. Not because we, we weren't born in the right families. Because we had a heart that was filled with sin. We did not love or seek after God. And because of that, we were worthy of his judgment, of his wrath. Have you thought about that? What's happening in our world today, the darkness? Do you really believe that God will not judge it? Not because he's vengeful, but because he must judge sin for what it is. He must condemn what is evil, what does not glorify him and enjoy him. God will remove from this creation. And it's for that purpose that the salvation that God offered, even from the Old Testament, was realized in Jesus Christ. It is a salvation from the darkness of our hearts, the places where you would not want anyone to look. Men, it is the places in your thoughts where you would be embarrassed if your wife or your daughter ever had an inkling you thought this way. Women, it is true for you as well. It is the dark places of your lives where you are so impressionable that you will fall into anything to be liked or loved. This darkness that is in each of us, God has seen it and he has so loved you and me that he would not stand back and allow it to envelop us or to rob us of life. He gave a child named Jesus to come into the world to offer a way of salvation, a way of forgiveness, a way of redemption. I love that, don't you? This is the God that we have come to know. 
He is not vindictive in withholding his love. He has poured it out, and he poured it out in such ways that he became flesh and dwelt among us. But I fear today, my friends, that, that in the days that we live, we live in a time when the church has allowed the world to think this salvation is cheap and easy. That salvation is something we just say a prayer and somehow the God waves a magical wand and we're forgiven and all of our lives are, are, are redeemed and we can go out and live any way we want. That's not salvation. That's condemnation. Because the salvation that God has brought into our lives is costly. How would it be costly? Well, notice how, how he tells the father and mother in verse 34, when Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, he said, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that he will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There's been a lot written about this particular passage and what it means. But very quickly, let me point out, when he's talking about the falling and rising of many, the falling is drawing upon Isaiah 8 where God tells the Israelites that he will send one who will be a stumbling block because they believe they can be right with God by obeying the law, they somehow can earn their own salvation, this child will cause them to stumble. Why? Because the law only shows them their sins, not their salvation. When you and I read the Ten Commandments, it should cause us to be grieving that we cannot live up to these Ten Commandments. Why? Because they are holy and righteous and we are not. And as you study them and you look at God's law in more depth, you begin to realize that within you is a power at work that does not want to acknowledge God's law or obey it. And because of that sin that is within our hearts, God in his great mercy has sent Christ so that that stumbling would happen to you. Stumbling how? So that you would hear the law, recognize your sin, cry out to God for your forgiveness. For the forgiveness that only he can give through the cross of Christ. And then raise you from the deadness of sin into a new life in knowing God the Father. Isn't that powerful? That this God loves us in such ways that he would set this child as to being a stumbling block. And this is why Jesus was spoken against. Because as he spoke, as he taught, as he led people into knowing God, they had one of two choices. They would either come and say, my Lord and my God. Or they would want to kill him. And that would be the piercing of the heart. It would be a piercing of Mary's heart because who, what mother would ever want their child to be the focus, the very pinnacle of the spear of the hatred of humanity? And then the passage closes with this tremendous, tr tremendous Women, you should just shout with joy because it's 
a woman named Anna who was a prophetess. A woman? A woman. In that day, women did not have the status they have today. You were simply a possession belonging to a man. She had lost her husband early in life, and she devoted the rest of her life to God. In fasting and praying and in worshiping him, she trusted in God for her life. And God blessed her by seeing that all of that work, all of that sacrifice, all of that costly way of living that she gave to God was not for anything more than the ability to see the Messiah when he came. The one who would redeem not only her, but her entire culture, her entire world. It is a salvation that not only would be for everyone, both Jew and Gentile, a salvation that would be costly, that it would require this child's life and eventually his resurrection and glorification. It would be a child that would bring a salvation that would bring redemption. Today, the Jews are still looking for this child to bring redemption. They envision the Messiah will come and reestablish Jerusalem and the nation of Israel, and all the world will bow to God as God's kingdom comes upon the face of the earth. And Israel will be restored. But God didn't say that. God said that he was going to redeem all humanity. It wouldn't be that the Jews were a special class of people and the Gentiles would be a subclass. No, no, no. This salvation would be a redemption of the entire human race. Logan pointed this out last week. How the gospel is not for white or black or Indian. It is for everyone. And it is for that reason that the gospel is reaching into cultures we have never known before. Some of you are, are overwhelmed with what's happening with immigration in our world. You see people from third world countries. I, I think from the last count I heard 46 different countries People from 46 different countries are trying to come to America. In Europe, they're having the same problem. And, and I look at that and I just grieve because I say, this is not going to help our nation. And then suddenly it dawned on me, God is doing something that's more surprising than we can ever imagine. Do you know that there are people we could have never reached with the gospel in the Middle East who are now trying to get into Europe and America? They could have never heard the gospel where they were. And now ministries are springing up all over the place, preaching the gospel. I mean, we see the world is so dark, don't we? Luke wants you to hear that the light has come into the If you bear his name, 
God wants to use you to share that light with those in darkness. It's so easy to get comfortable as a Christian, isn't it? I mean, let, let's face it. Can I, be, can I really be honest with you this morning? Being a Christian is hard. Can I have an amen? amen. Following Christ is costly. But is there any other way of salvation? Then why are we ashamed of the gospel? Why are we afraid of offending anyone by telling the story of Jesus? Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, as we take this time to reflect upon the gift that we have in Jesus Christ, would you forgive me as a pastor? for not being the man that you would call me to be. Would you possibly look with mercy upon anyone else who feels the same way that I do, that, that the greatest story of the greatest love of the greatest sacrifice was given and it is still offered today there may be someone this morning here who has never asked Christ into their life. They know they're separated from you because of their sin. They know they're living a life that is duplicit. On the outside, they may look religious, but on the inside, their heart is filled with all kinds of things that do not glorify God. You know, you don't have to leave here like that. God's grace and mercy is upon you even now. You can receive Christ by simply turning to him and saying, God, I am not what you desire me to be. Come into my life. Change me. Help me now to take the cross and to follow you. That kind of prayer God hears, you don't have to do it publicly. You can do it privately. But let me tell you, if you're serious about following him, it will change the way you live. And it will be costly. But it will always bring true life in the way that God meant it to be. As we close in prayer this morning, our simple prayer is, Jesus, as we prayed, please don't let us celebrate a Christless Christmas. We now pray, please, Lord Jesus, do not let me live a Christless life. Bind my heart to you that I might glorify you and enjoy you forever. The people of God said together.